You're listening to the Choose to Be podcast with host Alana Gordon and Amy Wolsey. As you join us each week, we will provide you with tools, resources, and knowledge to help you navigate your healing journey. Choose recovery, choose healing, choose you. Welcome to the Choose to Be podcast. Thank you again for joining us. We also want to just take a quick um, moment to thank those of you who have been liking and downloading and sharing our podcast. We're getting um, more and more feedback, more followers. It's just been so incredible to see how many people this podcast has reached and the things that people are learning and it just makes it all worth it. <laughs> all the vulnerability hangovers make it worth it for a lot of night to be able to do this and to, and to get great feedback. So thank you seriously so much to our listeners for your love for us and what we're doing. And we hope how much we love you and truly think about all of you women and men who are working through some of the hardest, difficult challenges of your life. And, but that's what I find amazing and why I can say, I love all of you. And I don't even know you because you're working people who listen to podcasts and try and find all this information to help you are working and I just, I, I love you for it. We love you for it and keep on working. Okay. So today's a fun episode. I'm really excited about this. Scott, my husband and I are here and we're actually in Vegas and we are here with Luke and Alana. So the four of us are together doing this episode and I am thrilled. I freaking love these people. So um, very excited to do this together. We thought and thought about what topic we could all discuss that would be beneficial for those of you who are in all different situations and parts of your journey. And I think what topic that Alana was saying, we cannot talk about this enough, and that is emotions. And I think that we're going to go with that topic today. And so a couple of things that we want to, I think, touch on and points that we really want to communicate today is the power of providing safety for your partner to communicate, to feel, and to share emotions. There is a lot of learning that us as humans in general, whether you've had trauma, betrayal, addictions involved, it takes time to really provide and learn how to do that, to provide safety for your partner to share. So we're going to talk about that. I think we're also going to hear some thoughts that Luke and Scott have to share about emotions with men how to feel, what it looks like to feel. I know Alana and I have a lot of women that want their husbands to communicate and have that emotional intimacy. And you've got men who want that. They just don't know how. We also see this part where, okay, well, what does that even look like? What is normal <laughs> communication from a man and him sharing emotions? What does that even look like so that I know what to expect and what is healthy come across that. So lots of great stuff that we want to touch on. And then probably 50 others that will <laughs> spider off to like we usually do. So we'll just see where this goes. As always, we invite you to this conversation and hope that in some way, this is beneficial to all of you. I think a good place to start is just talking about a lot of our couples. And I'll say myself and my own journey when I was going through this, as soon as Luke and I started working our recovery, I wanted him to be all of a sudden right there emotionally with me and to have all of the skills and be using all of the tools that I was hearing about and learning about 
And I wanted him instantly. And maybe I'll give myself some credit. I wanted it in a few months, uh, (laughs) but I wanted it very quickly or way quicker than change really happens for him to just be there and to get it and to have all of these emotional skills. And so I think that was a really hard, hard reality for me is realizing that Luke had his own journey of learning and growth that was going to take a significant amount of time. And I remember thinking the whole time um, going through it of he's not moving fast enough or he's not doing enough or why isn't he here? And the patience that was required was really, really painful for both of us. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about was a time when I was probably within the first four sessions of my recovery, being with a therapist and a therapist telling me a little bit about addiction when he said, Hey, addiction is really tied back to the mismanagement of emotions. And that wasn't very impactful in the moment. I just thought I was there because I had a porn problem and I just needed to get over it. And as soon as I could get over it, then everything would be better with our relationship. And we go back to our life on our merry little way. And then he started describing like, okay, what's the purpose of my addiction? What, what, need does it meet? And we, he started tying it quickly into, not quickly, but over a few sessions, tying it into emotions and how, when I felt certain key emotions for myself, uh, I didn't know what to do with those, you know, in fact, so they would cause me to act outside of my values because I didn't know what to do with boredom, loneliness, feeling shame. There, there's a bunch of other key ones for me. And as he, he said this, he's like, okay, Luke, you're 33 years old at this time. Your emotional maturity level is that of a, of a 11 year old. Cause that's when I started using masturbation and pornography, mostly masturbation to deal with my emotions. Can I pause you right yeah, there and please. just explain for our listeners at the point in your emotional growth that you started turning to other substances, whether it be pornography or drugs or alcohol, instead of dealing with your emotions, your emotional growth gets stunted. So I've had multiple men and women who are seeking therapy, who are talking about their spouse or their partner when they get really upset or really triggered or really flooded, all of a sudden it's like they're dealing with an 11 year old or a 15 year old or a six year old. And that's because that emotional growth gets stunted. So they can have success in all of these other areas of their life, but emotionally they've really just haven't progressed in the same way. Yeah. And so what that looked like for me was, he said, you're 33 years old, but you're emotionally, your, your ability to handle your life emotionally is that of an 11 year old. He's like, put any 11 year old in a 33 year old situation and it's not going to be okay. It's not going to be good. And hence the outcome of, of where I was at, where Alon and I was at. And that wasn't, again, that profound in the moments. I was in a humble place when him calling me an 11-year-old. I wasn't upset about it. I think if Alana would have told me that, it might have been a different situation. But him saying that was like, okay, let me tuck that away. And and he kept tying it back in and bringing it back. So why I think this is pretty amazing for the vulnerability here on, on this one, but the information is because, Alana, what you were saying too is how women are feeling frustrated and we hear that a lot. Oh my gosh, she's acting like a 10 year old. He's acting like, you know, well, yes. And rather than, I think this is going to help them understand why to your point, 
But then I just want to also mention that, that doesn't give them an excuse. It means just like the brain can grow back that frontal lobe when the frontal lobe gets shrunk because they're dealing with addiction, just because just like that can heal, this can heal also. They can progress, they can learn. So I'm hearing you say that. And I'm also hearing some, <laughs> maybe some of my clients that I know who might be like using this against them. <laughs> and I don't want that. I know that's not the intent of you guys sharing that. So I want to bring that up is this is really powerful information for you to see that there is work there to be done. I'm so glad you said that, Amy. Yes, absolutely. This is not to be used to shame yourself or your partner, but it's something that you can use hopefully for greater understanding of realizing, okay, there is a reason why I go to this place or my spouse goes to this place and in using it to just help gauge of where you're at and gauge of how you want to move forward and what growth and progression can look like. And like Alana, you were saying, this requires patience on both parts, but to allow that learning that needed to happen to learn. I, I know a lot of men who were sexually abused at an early age, and that's when they started to have that emotional disconnect, disconnect. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of reasons why this is happening and they have to learn. They have to be taught. And I think we all can agree. We don't talk about this enough. We don't learn this. You don't learn it in school. Not a lot of parents are qualified to teach this. So having patience to let them learn this is really, really important. Having said that, Alana, I'd like to ask you all then what do you do with that? Okay. I mean, Luke was in therapy, but when you have a couple who's figuring this out now, this is maybe new to them. Oh my gosh, this makes sense. Now what? So do I say, okay, husband, I expect you to go to therapy and get help so that you can start learning emotional intelligence and then I'll be patient. I'd like to speak to that for a second. Okay. So Alana teaching me about how to grow emotionally wasn't going to happen. Okay. She wasn't going to share with me and have it be helpful in any type of way. Hey, Luke, you need to grow emotionally and learn how to handle your life better. I noticed that you're behaving like an 11 year old. What she could do is she could say, hey, that behavior isn't accessible to me. You're drawing me into the chaos, aka boundaries. And then what I do, because I can't suck her into my emotional chaos, is that I need relief. And if it's not going to be porn, then I got to get it somewhere. So I found it through other men that were farther in the journey than I was. I found it through my therapist, like we talked about before, being able to work through some of these things and learning how to, in a healthy way, process emotion. I am becoming very, very passionate about work with men and them learning how to feel their emotions. And I got to tell you, watching them do it is so rewarding for me, for the spouse. It's like um, nails on a chalkboard. Because I see these improvements and I'm like, I'm so excited going from 11 to 12 years old, whatever you want to call it. And I see them. I remember a, one of my clients the other day, very guarded, doesn't want to feel, is really in his head, not feeling. And I remember asking a few questions that brought up some emotion for him where he's actually started to tear up. I remember there in that moment going like, yes, yes, <laughs> thank you. This is amazing when asking him some questions about it and him going there. And for him, it was a horrible experience that 
feeling like that, recognizing those emotions. And what I recognized about my journey, the more I learned to recognize my emotions, the more I learned it was a means to an end of me not feeling like I'm in such a chaotic space. I think what would be helpful is to talk just a little bit about how can men learn to actually feel emotion? What does that process look like? What does that even really mean? I think back to Luke in the beginning, before starting recovery work, Luke had feelings, but it was almost like he was completely flooded with emotion or he was shut down Mm -hmm. from emotion. Mm -hmm. And so he would say, I feel like, I don't know what you're talking about, but there wasn't actually this healthy recognizing the emotions, feeling it to a level that's feeling it, but not drowning in it. There was no processing the emotion and expressing it was really rare unless he was so flooded that it just got verbally vomited everywhere. So I think that'd be really helpful just to hear a little bit about how men can even learn what this process looks like. Yeah, I was actually, I had this thought, I'll just share it real quickly. So I've had a completely different path than Luke has in terms of going through my life and dealing with emotions and feeling emotions. I didn't have to go through the recovery that he did. And so we, we come from two different kind of paths that way. But the other day I was at a little league game and we were dealing with nine, with eight, seven, eight year olds, mostly boys. It was one girl on the team, but some of the boys would cry when they would strike out or they got out on base. And right after the game, <laughs> Amy's smiling because she remembers this. The coach says, we can't have any more crying. What are you guys crying for? What in the world are you crying about? We, no more criers on this team. Like we're all going to stop that. And I had this like, it just hurt me because I was like, how do I talk to the coach and tell them they need to process those emotions? <laughs> and and I'm like, hold me back. <laughs> and, uh, you know, really that's what men face. My point in, in that example is we face that very early on. I remember being in the league and feeling like I couldn't cry or feeling like I couldn't share that because I would be seen as, as a sign of weakness. So from a very early time in my life, there was a lot of, I felt insecure about sharing how I was feeling or felt like I was weird if I did as a man, as a young man. And so given that most men go through that regardless of where they end up in their middle teens and, and their early thirties or late twenties, like that's why they're programmed the way they are. And I think for me, when I finally recognized that it was a healthy thing to express emotions, but not in a bad way, but to be able to recognize they're there and then find the safe place to be able to express them was the key part in my journey to be able to start realizing how that can actually be a strengthening mechanism instead of a separating mechanism for relationships. Yeah. And you might be coming from a place where you were taught with emotions that emotions aren't bad, but only the certain types of emotions are allowed, right? Especially if it's coming from a, a patriarchal environment growing up, you know, is it, okay, you can feel, but feel this way or only feel so much. And I'm the same thing, Amy, I'm having the same experience you and Scott are thinking about that coach with those little people having this really big experience emotionally, right? I'm up to bat or watching me. I'm just a little guy. I hit the ball. I don't hit the ball. And I just, I can't take it anymore. And then I'm taught the conclusion they take is that is not okay. I was told that is not appropriate. Talk about holding that for the rest a long period of time until somebody helps you rewire that. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And it teaches us how to show up in the rest of our lives. For me, I actually had a, an environment that I grew up in where my dad was emotional. He wore his emotions on his sleeve. But 
for me to, I could wear my emotions if they were at the right place at the right time. If my dad was in a spot where, because he's the provider of the family, if he's got the emotions, I need to stuff mine. Mine don't matter when his matter. It's an interesting thing to look at. You know, Brene Brown has, you can only listen to it, but she has this two hour book on Audible and it's called Men, Women, and Worthiness. And she talks about these messaging that we get as women and this, these messages that we get as men of how we're supposed to show up and how we deal with emotion. And she talks about, just like you said, Scott, with little boys at a very young age are told to shut it down. And even men in adulthood are still receiving this message from women that when they show too much emotion or they get vulnerable, women will say like, I want it, I want it, I want it. And then as soon as they start like being vulnerable and showing it, she goes, whoa, mm -mm, no, too Mm. much, shut it down. And I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, hmm, did I do that? Do I do that? And I had to really like think about it and process through that. I chewed on that for weeks. And then I started seeing all these little different ways that I had done that through our marriage. And so men have it set up against them from day one to not learn these skills, to not have the emotional safety, to be able to explore this. And it's really just such a disservice. Yeah. You know, I want to speak a little bit to something I've been really passionate about lately and tie this in when it comes to emotions and and processing them. So there's a difference between feeling and emotions. Feelings is the process in which you identify emotions. Emotions are always going on inside of our body happening right now. We could all stop, sit here. Okay, wait, what am I, what emotions am I having? That very process is feeling. So me going back to the beginning when I'm in my addiction, what it really looked like was there was only two times that I was feeling. It was, excuse me, there was, there's only two times that I feel. Most of the time, what it was that I was forced to, the emotions were so big and so there, I can't ignore them. And then chaos ensues because I don't like that feeling. I don't like that emotion. I don't like feeling that. And recognizing that my only process to be able to handle this in a healthy way is by feeling earlier before the emotion becomes so big that I'm forced to feel. And I think to give Alana some credit in our marriage, whenever I would feel, it was whenever I would feel, it was ugly because I'd wait for it to get really, really big. So one of the things is, is I was really passive aggressive and that a lot of it came from suppressed emotion. Like I couldn't tell Alana about certain things because I didn't like that conflict. So giving credit to Alana, the feelings is the reason why I was, I'm assuming scary was every time I showed up with emotion, it was because it had been suppressed for so long that I'm going sideways with it. I can remember And I actually was very proud of this moment until I watched her react to it when her very first dating, no, when her very first engaged, it was early in the morning. I had this really old junkie car. We walk out in the morning to start the car and the timing belt breaks. And I was very upset because it's our only form of transportation. Well, I punched the windshield, break the windshield. I remember she had quite a reaction to that experience. That makes sense. And for me, my emotion only came out when it was really, really big. I think about little kids and babies who come to this earth and you have a baby boy and a baby girl. They both feel, they both cry. They both are tender. I've watched a lot of different videos studying emotion 
and seeing little boys at six months, nine months, a year, two years, who are totally feeling all of the array of feelings, who are in tune with other people's feelings. And it's before the world has given them a different message. And it makes me sad that men and women alike, women get similar messages in different ways. You know, be a big girl, put your big girl pants on. Like we as a whole, I think just give this message in our society, but this disservice that when we start believing men and women alike, when we start believing that men don't have feelings or their feelings aren't as important or their feelings aren't as extreme, or I've heard men say of like, yeah, I just don't feel, I'm sorry, but that's total bull crap. <laughs> that's not the way that we're wired. I'm speaking to the men and Scott, please weigh in on this. As men, you were either taught to, you taught something about emotions or you experienced it gave you a conclusion, right? So going back to that's what therapists and coaches are for is to be able to understand, was I taught that? Did I learn that from my experiences? So Scott, you seem to me that you are an emotionally healthy man. So coming from that, did you, were you taught that? Did you experience that? How did you come to the conclusion that emotions were okay? I felt very safe with my mother growing up to be able to express my emotions. And I actually found a circle of friends that I felt comfortable in. They were not your typical, <laughs> oh, I don't know what I'll call it, but like your um, guy friend that you might, the guys that you might see hanging out in high school, for instance, that constantly beat each other up and smack each other in the head and they don't share a lot. That's changed a little bit over time. But when I was young, that was very true. You didn't share a lot of feelings in a lot of those circles. And I found a circle of friends that I could. That changed everything for me to be able to like have those guys there when I was even frustrated with a relationship with a dating relationship, or I was struggling with trying to fit in. I could have the conversations with them, which that's very rare but to have guy friends like that. I think I, I owe a lot of that as being a blessing to be able to have had that growing up. I know a lot of guys that didn't have that. And so maybe that's one place where it changed for me. But I noticed that when I left that circle of friends and went, you know, to college and went on a LDS mission, that things were not the same. And it was actually was a much harder time for me mm. for a period of a few years where I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel that. And it was probably the hardest time I've ever had during my life was that period of time. Like you said, Luke, I would suppress, I'd push down. And I, it was, <laughs> that was probably the hardest for me, to be honest. Yeah. I liked a couple of things that you brought up there, Scott, that resonated with me. I think it's awesome you had a group of friends that would accept the emotional side of you. And then that emotional safety part, we either find that when we're little or we don't in that place where it's safe to feel emotions. So mine wasn't black and white. I had people, I can clearly remember my grandma Gordon, whenever you'd get hurt physically, I remember she would go to a place of, well, if I got hurt, I didn't look for my mom. My mom's awesome, by the way. I don't want to talk poorly about my mom. I'd look for my grandma because this is what my grandma would do is she'd go, she'd go, oh my goodness, bless your heart. If I had a scrape on my knee or something like that. And then she had this stuff. It's kind of like Mary Kay a long, long time ago called Jaffra. And she'd find a little Jaffra bottle and she put the ointment somewhere where I was hurt. 
And she'd yeah. be like, oh, bless your heart. And what I had was a complete emotional safety, complete to feel and to be able to tell her about how hard it was. And those experiences, if you don't have those, you have to, to Scott's point, you have to learn them at some point. They, they show up or they don't when we, our behavior looks like the ability to be able to have emotion or not in our lives and be safe. Well, a lot of people don't have emotional safety in their homes or even in their relationship. And especially after you've had betrayal trauma or addiction, it gets really, really difficult for both sides to feel emotionally safe with each other. I think about this as a quick maybe tip for parents, but one thing that I will recommend to all of my parents who I work with is start teaching this emotional awareness from a very young age. And one thing that we'll do with our kids is we call it the emotions game. And all it is, we go around the room and each person in a circle will give the next person an emotion. And they'll say when they last felt that emotion. So like, I would say, Hey Luke, your emotion is lonely. And he'd go, okay, I last felt lonely when da, 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 da. And he'd look at maybe my daughter, Maddie, and he'd go, okay, Maddie, your emotion, she's really silly. So he might say, your emotion is silly. And she'd giggle and go, okay, this is when I felt it. And it's been really fun because usually we finish a round and they're like, one more round, one more round. And they love it. But the other day, so our little boys are six and eight. Luke goes out to the garage and they've got the neighbor kids over and they have him sitting down and he, they're like, okay, we're going to play the feelings game. <laughs> yeah, I hear him playing the feelings game. Like, they're like, okay, it's my turn to do feelings. And I'm like, holy mackerel, you got a six, eight-year-old over here playing the feelings game in the street. This is a different- We, we might so be cool. the weird house and yeah. I'm okay well, with that <laughs> because these skills are going to benefit them for their entire life. Yeah. Now, okay. I love that. I'm going to give another suggestion because my kids were not near as far advanced as that. And when we started doing this whole feelings thing, they wanted kind of nothing to do with it. And so we started off, I'd printed out the feelings wheel, go to feelingswheel.com, print off that wheel. And I kept one on the fridge, but I kept one at the dinner table. And we would just, as we're sitting down eating dinner, I'd pat, we'd pass the wheel around and I had them name just three emotions that they felt that day. We didn't have to talk about it at that point. We didn't have, I didn't ask questions or explain. So if one said, I felt really, really angry, I'm not going to go, why, what happened? Tell me about it. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, right. That's too scary at that point. So starting off with just letting them honestly, and so let's see, Jackson was probably seven, eight when I even started doing this. So I've got a little kid. I thought there was so much power in him just seeing the different words that describe emotions was really, really awesome. He didn't need to necessarily know what they all meant. And the feelings will, if you makes it a little bit easier to see where it derives from, but those different words, but that's a place that you can start too. When, when this is so new, (laughs) just name an emotion and letting them see the act, like all these words that describe emotions is fascinating. Right? So that's another place you can start if. Like mine, they're like, (laughs) and I love that you share that because I'm giving the example of my little boys who have born right when we started recovery. Right. So they've been like, that's the experience. Yeah. That's all they know. So I love, love that you're like Amy going, okay, reality (laughs) check. Ours look totally different because that's real. And you as listeners hearing this, 
your experiences is going, going to be totally different than Amy's. And I want, when it just seems so like healthy and natural and, and sharing emotion, it's just like, why wouldn't somebody not share emotions? This, is a, this can be a beautiful, great experience. The very simple, most simplistic way to say it, if somebody naturally doesn't feel emotion, they view emotion as danger. Like something bad is going to happen if emotion comes up that they are not just protecting themselves, they're protecting people around them by not sharing emotion. I remember so many times going with Alana, like, if I share emotion, I'm going to hurt her. This is gonna be bad for her, not just me. So I, I wanna just share that perspective of, if it doesn't make sense and it's a lot logical, why a man doesn't want to is because he views emotions, it's dangerous, very dangerous. Well, we talked a little bit about this, Alana, in our Mama Traumas series is kids do this too. Kids don't want to necessarily share their real emotions with parents, especially when maybe we got like, I'll just use my example as I had my sons, I would even say my daughters too, didn't want to share their real emotions with me because they saw me having emotions and struggling and feeling a lot of that. And so they felt like, Luke, to your point, dangerous to share with mom or to share with dad, these real emotions, because either they didn't want to add to the pain or they didn't want to get in trouble because <laughs> yeah. they interpret that as I'm going to get in trouble. And in fact, it's interesting. I'm hope I'm not yeah. outing you here, but that's a thought that I think Scott, your brain offers you a lot in terms of sharing emotions and you deal with that at work a lot. Like, okay, if I'm yeah. share with them, how he works in the corporate world. If I share my emotions <laughs> here, what's going to happen? And your brain offers you that thought a lot of, I'm going to get in trouble if I share. It's just interesting, right? It's how good. Yeah, I see it. I mean, Luke, this kind of goes to your point that we're programmed so early is that we're, we see it as a sign of weakness. Like it's a weak man. Like that's kind of what society has built around that, right? Like unless it's anger or frustration, a man can express that feeling because that's what a man does, right? But that's not true. Like we see it as a sign of weakness if we're sad or we're fearful, right? Or we uh, lack some sort of courage or something or that we can't do it. And so it generates all these thoughts in our mind that we're gonna be in trouble as well. And I think that those kinds of things, those thoughts that our brain offers me at least, makes it hard for me to communicate sometimes with other men, especially, but the, then the women in my life, if, <laughs> if I don't feel like, I think that we sometimes have this idea that we need to be perceived as strong and bold and unwavering. And so we hesitate to share our feelings with the women in our life as being that a sign of weakness. I see a lot of men that are afraid to cry in front of men or women because that's a sign of weakness, right? In the general sense. So for me, I've had to realize that that's okay if people have those thoughts, but it's a real fear for me sometimes that I have to navigate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. We got a bunch of people around us living in the, like we were talking about corporate environment. That's so full of like, no, you'd be tough. You have your, you keep your crap together. I can mm -hmm. remember, or I can remember quite a few years ago, one of the employees that I work with, he came to me and said he broke up with his longtime longtime girlfriend. And I remember in that moment going like, I felt for him. I was like, this must be really, really hard. And I remember going to my boss, not my current place I work. I remember going to my boss and saying, well, hey, he just had this experience. He's like, so it's not, his, it's not his wife. So it's not, it's not that, you know, he could cry if it was his wife. 
but because <laughs> his girlfriend don't just pull your get your crap together and, and do your job in the moment i was kind of like oh okay yeah and i hadn't hit the recovery days yet and i'm like well yeah he's my boss so that must be right you know to do get your crap together and i love the fact my natural instinct was this must be really hard this must be very difficult yep. and to empathize and get in the hole with him Brene Brown in Daring Leadership talks about having vulnerability and what it looks like in the workplace specifically. And she said, this doesn't mean that now that you're vulnerable, you're just going to go everywhere and show, share every feeling and be vulnerable with everybody. You still have to assess who earns that vulnerability, assess where, yeah, assess the safety. And, and really quick, maybe a quick pause of like emotional safety there's a lot of people who don't even know like what the heck is emotional safety. So maybe a quick definition, but I would define emotional safety as a place where you feel authentic and safe enough to be able to feel and express the emotions that are coming up for you and that there won't be repercussions for that. Okay. Let's talk more about that because that's one of the things that I want to, to really convey today with all four of us talking is how to do that. How do you create safety and provide safety in your relationship for the other to feel? So let's just start with that. So providing safety in, in a relationship to be able to feel emotions and communicate. So just a very simple, basic marriage, I think, <laughs> example. So Scott and I are here, we're in Vegas, we're staying in a hotel and we're we were trying to find our car. We're trying to find a place to eat. It's crazy down here right now. I think they just opened, the governor just opened everything up. So there are people everywhere right now down where we're staying. And we couldn't find a dang place to eat because the lines are hour, hour and a half wait. We were going from restaurant to restaurant. We're walking around this whole stupid resort. We're getting lost. We're hangry at this point, which both Scott and I, if we get to that point, it's never that good. Anyways, I was just like done. And I was just like beelining it to the car. And I was kind of, I guess, walking ahead of you a little bit. That. <laughs> Well, she was like, these people are all in my way and, you know, I'm going to not let them be in my way. <laughs> yeah, I was just like powering through and he's just following me and I'm just like, I'm getting to my car. I got to get breakfast, whatever. He makes a comment and it was like, well, I'm just, you're just on a mission and I'm just following you around or something like that. Anyways, I took it to mean something different than what he intended and I started to feel myself get a little angry. And then I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, what do you mean? And then he's, I'm anyways, backing he's backing up. <laughs> I'm like, can we start over? That's what I said. <laughs> All the danger signs are like starting like danger, danger. Yeah. yeah. So any, anyways, long story short, we're in the car and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I know what I'm feeling right now. And I had to identify what that emotion was. And then I had to realize that I'm the only reason I'm feeling that emotion is because of my thoughts. It really has nothing to do with what Scott said. It's what the, the story I made that to be. And so I just clarified with him and he was able to answer, which was, no, I wasn't trying to be snippy and you weren't doing anything wrong. It's not what I meant. Okay, great. I think that the really creating safety in a relationship is you managing your own thoughts and your own feelings because so, and, and let's just jump into the world of recovery here for both, right? When you are trying so hard to see reality and to 
get in touch with your emotions, both male and female, to learn how to feel again, it is really, really important, I think, to know that your thoughts are what create your emotions. That's the only thing you have control over. But what I want women to know in terms of what's healthy, what healthy looks like, what safety looks like, is that I was able to ask him, okay, so this is the story I'm telling myself about what you said. This is what I'm making it mean. And he was able to say, oh, no, 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 that's not it. And then we can move on. We can manage our own brains at that point, right? But I will tell you that that was never a safe place for me to do that in my previous relationship. When someone wasn't healthy, when it wasn't, safety wasn't created. I couldn't ask that question. So Amy, let me throw this at you. Why did you trust him? Why did you believe him? Great question. Because he has built enough trust with me that when I ask him, hey, this rubbed me the wrong way. This is what I'm making it mean. He holds space for me to ask that question. He doesn't get mad that I asked. He's okay that I asked the question. He's not like, what the hell? Why are you even asking me that question? Right? He doesn't do that. It's just, did you like my Scott impression? <laughs> like, like, that was the Scott she wouldn't like, by the way. Scott, it's interesting how you change your tone like that. It's fascinating. <laughs> so I, I just, I totally agree. And I think this part of building, it, so often the other person doesn't want to believe the other person. They have their story. They're sticking to it. They ask a question, but they're like, I don't believe you. Like, I don't, I don't believe that that's actually the case. No, Scott, you were actually meaning something different than that. I'm going to ask you, but I'm not going to believe you, right? And this is, this is the hard part about when you, you're married to somebody that's going through recovery and they share their emotion and you're like, I don't know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not mopping what they're spilling, but if they're going to the extent of being emotionally vulnerable is progress that they're having that conversation and being able to be vulnerable and saying, Hey, this is what I'm, this is what I'm feeling. And this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm noticing. This is why I said that. Henry cloud has a quote, he said, the marks of a truly safe person is they are confrontable. So the fact that you, Amy, specifically could share, this is what I'm experiencing, or this is what I saw, or this is what I heard, or this is what I felt, you know, I'm filling in the blank for our listeners, right? That you can approach that other person and they can handle that. They can make space for what you're saying and what you're feeling. That's the marks of a truly safe person. Yeah. And this takes time. So when you're in that place where you're rebuilding this trust and you're trying to see if he is trustworthy, I just want to validate how scary that can be. And I'll tell you that this has taken, how long have we been there? Almost three years now. Mm-hmm. It's taken me a long time to be okay doing what I just did today because I didn't always trust my partner to be able to ask that question, to be able to say, Hey, here's what I'm thinking and feeling. So maybe, maybe we can just talk to that just a little bit, because I know there's women probably sitting there go, well, great for you. I'm glad that you could ask them. Okay. This took me some time still. And really I want to bring it back. Scott necessarily didn't really have to do anything here except continue to be available. I'm the one that had to do the work. I had to be brave to ask the question and trust and know that, okay, that, that didn't go like my brain told me it would go. He didn't yell at me. He didn't gaslight me. I'm okay. I'm safe. And that takes bravery to start taking steps towards your partner in the sense of 
okay, I'm going to ask him, is this what you really meant? I'm going to share with him my feelings. Yeah. And I think just to add to what you're saying, like, if you've got something to compare it against, it helps. In other words, let me give an example. Like maybe we have an awesome experience together. Like we go, uh, we went, uh, I'm trying to think of somewhere recently, but we've oftentimes we'll both walk out of somewhere going, oh my gosh, did you feel that? And we'll have this like connection where we talk, we're really open with each other about, I was feeling this and feeling that. And you were like, yeah, me too. Oh yeah. And when this happened, this happened. And it's like, that's almost like a calibration because when things are hard, you can see that things are still kind of happening the same way, even though it's a difficult, more difficult conversation. You're still being open with each other. You're still having the opportunity to talk to each other. And if that is not happening the same way, like someone's shutting down, someone's blocking, someone's not feeling safe. So you have a calibration point of the safety points that we, Mm. and it's important to always remember those, like, when have I felt safe? Because I'm not right now. So you you can kind of adjust and look through that a little bit. So then I guess, and I'm going to ask you guys this. So then I guess when you've had, when you're trying to rebuild your trust in the relationship after betrayal, then how do you recalibrate how do you create a baseline again and what does that even look like or a baseline for the first time right like how many couples are going through this where they both entered the marriage where addiction was already present whether they knew it or not so there really wasn't a healthy baseline then what I in one of our men's groups one of the guys I love this he said I feel like we're not rediscovering anything. I feel like I'm discovering, like I'm learning for the first time about emotions. I'm learning for the first time about myself. I'm learning for the first time how to understand my wife. And so I guess maybe can we speak to those who are listening, who are like, how are we supposed to do this? Like I hear these two couples, whatever they all, they seem to have it together, but we're not even kind of there. So help us. So let me give you an example of one where Alana this morning was vulnerable with me and shared something where, where I viewed it as attacking at first. She shared some information about how I embarrassed her in a social setting. And I remember when she very first said it, I'm like, I felt like she was attacking me. And now I look back at it and I'm like, she was extremely vulnerable to share what that felt like for her. And when she shared it with me, when I felt like she was attacking, I wasn't a safe place immediately to share. So what I do is I did is I heard her and I ran to my shame. And then I thought, oh, like, uh, I want to lash back. I want to say, well, what about this? And what about this? And so just giving yourself for the men and for the women, understanding that can take some moments to gather your, like Amy's talking about, gather my thoughts and recognize what's happening and recognizing there's some control that I have. And I think that's a little bit of separation there. Sometimes, I don't know if Amy, it was the rest of the walk to the car for you. I don't know if it was more of a car ride, but for me, it took me, I would say five minutes. And then I apologized when I said, I can see the impact that I had on you in that social situation. And I apologize. And it wasn't too big a deal. You know, I still had empathy for her situation. So it's okay if it feels like a ton of bricks coming down you in the moment, like, I don't know how to get there. I hear Scott and Amy and Luke and Alana talking about this, but I don't even feel close. I did not feel close there for five minutes. Well, and we're going on almost 
Mm-hmm. So we're coming up on years of doing this recovery work. So he just said, you know, he takes five minutes to recalibrate. It used to take days, yeah, days, days of this pain for just a small comment for a small level of vulnerability. And the same thing when he was vulnerable with me and I wasn't ready for it. And I was still deep in my own emotional trauma. It took me days to work through that and process it. And the longer you work at it, the easier the skill becomes. But we're talking about years of recovery work. They say on average to do this type of work is a minimum of three to five years. And so when I first meet with a client, I'll ask them, are you in this for the long haul? Are you ready to do this emotional work really for the rest of your life? Because you're going to have emotional experiences your entire life. And Ideally, you're going to keep growing and progressing and just living healthy living. These skills we're talking about are just healthy living, yeah. healthy connecting. One of the things to think about for the women is, is, you know, the women that need their husbands to be emotionally present immediately, you know, that are like, no, I, I need you to sit there with me in this and I need you to get there and, and you cause this damage. Heck yeah, it's all of that, right? That would be wonderful. But recognizing when you got somebody that's 11, 13, 16 years old emotionally, you're not going to get that right away. So what you can do is you can step back also, like I did, and say, all right, I'm going to be aware and watch what's going on. And that's where boundaries come in, right? So like the clients that are doing this right now that I have, it's okay. What do you need, women whose husbands are working recovery, what do you need to see them do that will help you feel safe to be patient? Right. So, okay. I understand that I need to be patient while they're learning how to grow emotionally and learn how to do this. What do I need to see them do? What does that look like for me? So say that is okay. They need to be seeing a a correct therapist. They need to be doing maybe a group. What are some things they need to be doing? Check-ins with me nightly, weekly, whatever. Okay. That if they're doing that, I can be patient and keep watching the feet. And then in the meantime, you are going to work on you. You're going to manage your thoughts. You're going to manage your feelings. But what I see is so many women tie, they, they literally stop. They stop progressing. They stop living their lives, mm-hmm. waiting. waiting for them to grow up emotionally. And now, honestly, like, you're not your best self and you're not creating safety for them to grow up emotionally. I know we're talking about how to be safe relationally and connect together, but it's so much like separate work (laughs) and we don't talk about this, right? But that's that interdependence, healthy, independently, emotionally. So maybe that helps some of you a little bit, see how that looks maybe right now while you're working this recovery, while he's working his recovery. Yeah. And talking to, again, the men out there going, okay, if she needs to take a moment and step back because you need to process, she is not punishing you mm. by creating safety for herself. Mm. And this, the safety I'm referring to, safety is a trigger word for a lot of men out there. I'm not hitting my wife. I'm not beating her up. So stop using the word safety. Just emotional safety is what we're referring to, a place where she can share emotion like Alana did this morning and for me to not get defensive. So if I do that, and if I take a step back for five minutes, if she does the same thing, that can add to some chaos if I don't know what to do with that. So I'm not being punished. She's being healthy. And so am I by backing up for a moment, assuming I come back to it. If all you do is 
let time heal, which time does not heal. Time does not heal. Time, di- time does not heal. Then at the end of the day, it just buries it a little deeper. Okay. That's what time does. Isn't this really interesting? I'm hoping that everyone's listening can, can see why you and I want to say this over and over in our work groups and our clients or um, on the podcast, why it's so important to get individual help. Yeah. To work with someone one-on-one individually, because we're throwing so many things out here. And I know that it's hard for all four of us to sit here and go, okay, we don't, we could go an hour on all these different directions that we've hit. And we know that every one of you are in a different place. You have different circumstances. You're probably sitting there go, yeah, but yeah, but so bring that to someone one-on-one so that you really can get help and get direction and know how to do this. We really just want you to know that it's possible. We're hoping that hearing what healthy can look like gives you hope, helps that it is possible that there are men out there that know how to feel, that there are men out there that, that aren't scared of it like we think. Like we started off talking where men get this, get told, you're, you, you know, men don't feel, women do, right? Let's break that apart. So really quickly, I want to talk to women who may be going through divorce or you are divorced and you're dating again. Here's something that I see happens is that you are so used to not communicating with your spouse. You have unhealthy communication. Emotions aren't being shared from your previous spouse. Now you're dating someone. You start talking to this guy and he's sharing emotions. He's sharing thoughts. And it's so you're craving that so badly that you can jump into a relationship too soon, too quickly with some expectations that might not quite be legit. So I want to put that warning out there to women because I'm seeing this happen in my work. And I want to also encourage you to be patient. And again, this is why you need to do one-on-one. And I am going to plug myself here. I run a dating group. So if you are in this position, honestly, this is what I do. This is why I wanted to make this group for women who are going through this because it is so confusing. You're like, oh my gosh, he's sharing with me what he thinks and what he feels. And it's amazing. And he's actually asking me how I think and feel. And I get it. I've been there, but we've got to be very careful with the expectations that we have. We've got to really understand what healthy does look like. And honestly, we've been talking about patience. You need to have patience after you've been divorced. And when you're dating, please allow yourself some time and space to be patient with figuring out what healthy sharing really does look like. Okay. There's my plug on for divorce women. (laughs) I'm really protective of my divorce women. (laughs) Well, I'll just second your plug because I have heard nothing but good feedback on that group that you run. So please, if you are in this place, that's one of these areas of you don't have to do it alone. There is extra support out there, but also just with the one-on-one, another reason why it's so important is each of us needed a place that we could say things that our spouse was not ready to hear yet, or that we weren't ready to share, or we were still trying to understand our own emotions. So there were things in the beginning that Luke was feeling that were really legitimate, but had he shared that with me, that would have exasperated my trauma. And so him going and dumping all that stuff on me would not have been helpful. Going to a therapist, working one-on-one with somebody 
having that place where you can go feel and unload and process so that he could then come back to me and actually share once he had done all the, the yucky work. And then we could connect. And same thing with me. Sometimes my emotions were too raw and too intense and I couldn't share them without attacking him. Mm-hmm. And so I needed that safe place that I could feel, I could process, I could go be as pissed as I wanted. I could say everything under the sun that I was feeling in the moment that I really didn't want to go dump on Luke, but I needed somewhere just to feel my pain. And so that was so beneficial of having those safe places to feel and process so that when we came together and interacted, we weren't attacking and we weren't dumping. And then, yeah, like Luke had said earlier, sometimes when either of our defenses kicked up, we needed to pull back, go get recentered before we could interact again. And finding the right people, the right place to have it be a a good experience. So looking for people, if you even look at a really good therapist, they're less about the, let me tell you how it works and more about what are you feeling? That was happening with friends too. So you're like, man, Alana, you can't believe this, blah, 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 blah. They don't start taking sides with me and going dude, she is crazy. Like what the heck? Like that's messed up. What they do is they provide a good space for me to say, yeah, that's, that sounds hard. I could see that, but they're also fans of the marriage. They want to make sure that they support both people. So those people, they don't grow on trees, that type, those types of individuals. So when you find them, hold on to them and remember what that looks like for other people in your life. I know in this episode today, we've gone a lot of different directions. When we have a group of us, you really have been part of a conversation, a discussion. And the thought that goes through my head is we're talking about individuals who are trying. So if you are married to somebody who is abusive, who is not trying, who is actively not creating safety for you, please do not take this and then go, okay, well, I just need to create a safe place for them. And I just need to do more. And I just need to, that's, that's, this isn't the episode maybe for you. What we are speaking to today is individuals, even ones who may be emotionally or younger emotional ages, but those who are trying, who are actively on a daily basis, consistently trying to do the work, that's who we're talking to. So I just wanna make that clear. And we are huge, huge proponents of healthy relationships. And I use the word healthy. I don't support abuse. I don't support marriages with active tearing each other down and men or women losing themselves in the marriage but we do hundred percent support healthy marriage. And that begins with individual work on each of your own part. And you can't do it for your partner. You each have to do your own work. I hope today was helpful. Thank you for joining the discussion, Scott and Luke, especially, but you as our listeners, and we look forward to seeing you all next week. We are thankful to Scott and Luke for being willing to join our conversation today or being willing to let us make them join our conversation today. Either way, we're grateful and we thank you as well for being here with us. And if you're wanting to get more help navigating your emotions or learn how to process them in a healthier way, then reach out and book a session with one of our amazing team members here by going to chooserecoveryservices.com and let us help you to choose healing, choose recovery, and choose you. Take care, everybody.